Hello, listeners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And thanks once again for tuning into Cloud9Fin for your weekly dose of musings and ramblings on the leveraged credit market. I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and this week I'm joined by Frank Osino, a senior MD at Newfleet Asset Management, focusing on leveraged loans. Thanks so much for joining us, Frank. Thanks, Will. So it's been a rough couple of weeks for markets. We're in the middle of a a worsening sell-off, not just in equities, but across nearly all asset classes. So I want to kind of chart a course through this, this volatility, but... Um, maybe I can start off by asking, first and foremost, how did we get here? Sure, Will. So I, I think we really got here uh, immediately when COVID uh, struck. So I'm thinking about uh, post-March of 2020, the summer of 2020, uh, the Fed really stepped in, um, not only with monetary policy, but with fiscal policy as well. Uh, you recall uh, the massive uh, stimulus packages that were approved uh, during that period. And the the result of all that stimulus and ac- accommodation uh, created growth and it created inflation. Uh, and, and I would argue that COVID created some inflation as well, right? Supply chain disruptions, et cetera. So when you take all that uh, together, uh, we're starting to see those factors make their way through fundamentals. And what I mean by that is we're now pivoting to an environment where the Fed is less accommodative, in fact, tightening, and that stimulus is starting to go away. That money has already been spent. So we're seeing uh, borrowers and investors start to factor into their analysis a slower growth environment, a return to perhaps even trend growth environment, and the impact that that might have on uh, borrowers and their ability to service debt. So to you, does this feel like just another dip or are people becoming increasingly concerned about this turning into a kind of, you know, a, a fairly major downturn? You know, I, I think it's too early to talk about major downturn. Certainly in the equity market, it feels like a major downturn. Uh, but but in, in the credits, in the credit market, the loan market, the high yield market, even the investment grade market, uh, it feels to me like uh, the, the initial... Uh, factors here are on uh, borrowers that don't cash flow or other idiosyncratic issues. Uh, The froth is really being taken out of the market. So when I think about first quarter earnings, for example, uh, by and large, they've been they've been okay. You know, b- borrowers and are are exceeding uh, what they thought were going to be first quarter expectations. But but if you missed earnings, or if you guided lower in for, for second quarter or for future quarters, uh, those were the borrowers that that really were impacted. So you think about the tech space, and you know borrowers like Uber, for example, commenting that you know now is the time that we really need to start cash flowing. You know, that's 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 those are borrowers finding religion now saying um, in order for us to survive, we need to start to make money. Right. And so um, I think, again, it's too early to talk about major downturn. But I do think that the froth is coming off on those. uh, The marginal borrowers are being the first ones that are impacted. Okay, so the rise in interest rates has been a major driver of this sell off. Um, So in some ways, it's kind of technical. I mean, also, earlier this year, you saw a huge pivot towards leveraged loans as an investment 
because they're floating rate and away from fixed rate high yield bonds. But the point I want to get to is that at some point, those rising rates and those rising coupons in, in the leveraged loan market are going to start to feed through into meaningfully lower free cash flow for a lot of leveraged borrowers. So can you talk a bit about that kind of transition? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think transition is the right word. We're moving from duration risk to pricing credit risk. So when I, when I look at the high yield market down 10% or so, uh, up until the last few weeks, the, the vast majority of that negative return was uh, duration induced. Uh, same on on the investment grade side, right? When when your duration is eight or nine years, uh, and we enter a rising rate environment, the, the investment grade market is going to be down thirteen or fourteen percent. Uh, a lot of that again was rates. Uh, the loan side, uh, the loan market has really held in, as you mentioned, right? So the loan market right now is outperforming high yield by about 9%. Uh, the last few weeks are a little bit different, right? Again, as the market starts to think about the impact of slower growth uh, and the impact of rising rates on borrowers, right? It's a double-edged sword. So investors in the loan market uh, will start to receive higher coupons and higher distributions, but someone's got to pay for that, and it's the borrowers that pay for it. And can they afford that, I guess, is the question. So we're starting to reprice risk today. Um, and the loan side, what we're watching at New Fleet is, you know, a market right now that roughly 15% of the market has interest coverage less than one and a half times. Um, our work, uh, the analyst team uh, back at, at my firm, you know, if we sensitize that by about... 250 basis points, uh, you know, that that 15% of the market with less than one and a half times interest coverage turns into about 25% of the market. Now, that's important because roughly 27% of the market is B minus rated. And that was only 9% five years ago. So the impact here is that as rates go up, to the extent that they're not hedged or it's all floating rate in a capital structure. So this isn't this isn't perfect. Uh, there are other factors to think about, but there's a large cohort of the market that is starting with a very low interest coverage and doesn't have a lot of room for error. Um, if those names get downgraded and then capital markets access starts to dry up, you can see how this kind of spirals into um, some uh, some pain for those lower rated borrowers. And so we're certainly working through that. By and large, though, I think we're starting as, from the market perspective in a good place in the sense that, you know, right now the market is about kind of high threes interest coverage, call it four, uh, $4 of cash flow for every $1 of interest expense. But if we have a 200 basis point increase, you can see the market go into the high twos interest coverage. And again, the lower rated cohorts are the ones that are going to be impacted the most. And so um, that's what we're spending uh, the, the majority of our time right now is who are those borrowers that might be ultra sensitive to, to that rising rate environment? Okay, so you mentioned access to markets there, and I definitely want to touch on that again in a minute. But first, I want to talk about earnings because we've seen some some meaningful earnings misses from well-known leverage borrowers in recent weeks, like Avaya and Diebold, for example, as well as some more kind of new school credits like Coinbase. Do you think this is something to be worried about? Because for a long time, the earnings environment felt 
kind of quite sort of benign and actually in many ways quite positive, despite kind of broader volatility in markets. But it really seems like that era might be ending now. Sure. And, and, and you're right on that. You know, I would point, though, that a lot of the misses and idiosyncratic uh, results that we've seen so far have been in, in areas like tech, where growth may be impacted by, by rising rates or uh, names that, that have a story historically. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned Diebold uh, for sure. You mentioned Avaya. You know, I would add to that a name like Endo, Endo Health, where, um, you know, a, a credit that uh, generic uh, threats or supply chain issues uh, they met their first quarter numbers, but they guided down for the second quarter, and that that impacted, um, you know, uh, security prices. So I think that right now, what the market is working through is, you know, the easy comps are are behind us. You know, the easy COVID comps are behind us. Uh, there are a lot of borrowers that had what we call at New Fleet the COVID bump. You know, where uh, they saw uh, margin improvement or growth. Uh, that was really COVID-induced. And a a lot of operating leverage now, what we call de-operating leverage. You know, if growth starts to slow down, uh, there's there's um, so, some de-operating leverage that's in the system. Uh, and, and finally, you know, borrowers did a great job in 2021 of cutting costs. And a, again, a lot of that is behind us now. You know, are, are we, have we cut to the bone? That's a question for borrowers, but it feels like a lot of that, uh, the easy comps, uh, cost cutting, et cetera, are, are behind us. And now, uh, what do borrowers look like going forward in this in, in this current environment? And again, I think the the idiosyncratic names are going to be the first ones to get you know to get hurt. You mentioned you mentioned the Via and Diebold, and I would say there are other tech names right now that are being being impacted. You mentioned you mentioned names like Coinbase, for example. Um, those are those are the credits right now that are being impacted the most. Right. So back onto the subject of access to funding and the primary market. Primary has really slowed down a lot lately. Bond issuance had obviously been struggling for a while, but that's starting to creep into loans. In fact, just yesterday, we put out a story on VXI Global Solutions, which is struggling to get its buyout financing done. And even some pretty well-regarded credits are taking a lot longer to get deals done now. So I want to ask, do you think there is, do you think that creates value in the primary market? Yeah, look, I, I would view the primary market right now going through a, a healthy repricing of risk. Uh, what do I mean by that? You know, the, the calendar is certainly manageable. There's about $20 billion of, of net forward calendar. Um, the, the large mega deals that we're all expecting uh, will be uh, entering the market, uh, you know, fairly shortly, I suppose. But right now, by and large, the market is, is definitely manageable. And there are some names, as you mentioned, that have struggled. Uh, and that's uh, certainly newsworthy, right? Uh, I think about a name like Bombardier Recreational Recreational Products uh, that recently got pulled. That was an opportun- opportunistic transaction. Uh, deals that have had to widen, and in some cases, widen materially. Um, those are names that, again, the market is re-underwriting. You know, uh, a name like Cineverse, for example, or borrowers that are B3 rated that have low interest coverage 
uh, right out right outside of the box, right? And so um, those those deals are getting increased scrutiny. Having said that, there are some good deals that are getting done uh, that are oversubscribed, that are you know higher quality names. I, I think of names like Aristocrat. I think of names like Vizian. Um, a name like today that allocated R1 RCM is a, you know, higher quality profile. So those transactions are finding buyers. Uh, And then the names, as we've been talking about, uh, that are in uh, industries that might be susceptible to inflation sensitivity or have low interest coverage uh, to begin with, or may have a a story, a historic story. Uh, Those are the ones that, that it feels like are struggling. What I'm watching right now broadly are are break prices. So after, you know, I go back the last few weeks, the last dozen deals or so, and once these deals are allocated uh, and they start trading in the secondary market, uh, nearly none of these transactions are trading, you know, nicely over par. Uh, What I'm finding is that, you know, a lot of these transactions are bid at the OID, and after a few trades, they might be bid below the OID, or in the case of like, you know, a Zayo, for example, um, a, a borrower that uh, issued an add-on transaction and almost immediately traded below par. What that tells me, what that tells me is that the market is still working through uh, pricing risk, and we may not have found you know, that primary market clearing level. So to answer your question directly, is there value in the primary? I think it depends on the credit. Uh, and I think that we're still uh, looking for that clearing level for for the lower rated names. Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard a few people say that in the past couple of days, you know, basically, why would you buy something in primary at a 98, 99 OID when there's a good chance it will dip below that quite soon after pricing? I mean, that's a that's a big change compared to what investors have been used to in primary for quite a long time. The technical is changing here a little bit, right? And, and some of it is a product of our own success in terms of relative value, right? The loan market is wildly outperformed fixed rate credit. So we're seeing crossover investors, multi-asset investors, you know, broad credit, you know, hedge fund type investors um, saying to themselves, you know, perhaps we ought to be selling loans here and buying uh, fixed rate debt that has really gotten beat up, um, you know, in the last few weeks or really the last five months. Uh, and so there, there's a seller in in that area. And, and now we're starting to see uh, retail investors, you know, we're not seeing the billion dollars of week uh, a week. Uh, come into retail, I I suspect that this week's number could even be negative. Uh, We're seeing CLO issuance in the last week slow down a little bit, still positive, uh, but not four to five billion dollars a week, right? Two billion dollars a week. And so um, as that starts to slow down, uh, you know, there's going to be fewer, there's going to be less demand uh, for the space. The good news is that the calendar is still manageable, but you can see a situation where, uh, the incremental dollar put into the primary market, um, you know, investors are going to say, I really want, I really need to buy this deal or this this deal need, really needs to be accretive for me to, you know, to commit. Okay. So that takes me on nicely to my next question, which is about the secondary market. A lot of investors I've spoken to lately are kind of actively pivoting away from primary and focusing more on secondary and hunting for bargains there. 
So where do you see opportunities in secondary right now? Yeah, I would say that, the, you know, it, it, there's a big debate on whether or not the primary the primary market reprices the secondary or if the secondary prices the primary. Uh, and, and certainly we're seeing uh, the secondary market continue to soften uh, here in the last in the last week or so. You know, we're spending a, a lot of our time on existing holdings. You know, here right now, credit selection, understanding what you own uh, is, is, in our mind at least, uh, going to take some precedent. Uh, we're looking at perhaps topping up in credits that we already know, names that are already in the portfolio, names that have, that have seasoned, have realized synergies, uh, names that we think have liquidity, runway, you know, access to capital. Uh, and so we're not necessarily looking for, um, you know, looking for value in the secondary, but what we are adding in the secondary are names that we're very comfortable with. I would add that the way we're doing that right now is re-underwriting, um, you know, inflation-sensitive industries, uh, borrowers that have had a COVID bump and now... Uh, might not have that COVID bump going forward as COVID wanes. So, you know, we, we've been underweight autos, we've been underweight food, you know, in, inflation sensitive areas. And, and we've been really spending more time in areas like software, like utilities, like energy that are less inflation sensitive uh, that we can t uh, take advantage of and, and, and perhaps play some defense. And so, you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily in our, in our mind looking for value in, in the secondary. It's what has gotten beaten up that we really like that we can buy now at a level that uh, we think makes sense in, in, in credits that, that we really like. Yeah, that makes sense. I was actually having a similar conversation the other day about companies doing a, a similar thing, but with their own debt, taking advantage of this leg down in trading levels to basically buy back their own debt on the open market and opportunistically delever. I mean, that's kind of more typical in bonds than loans, but do you think it could start happening more in the loan market? Yeah, I think I think it's too early to paint a wide brush like that in the loan market, right? The loan market has gone from, you know, we were 99 in January. We were in the in the 98s just not too long ago, a few weeks ago. Now we're call it either side of 96. So, you know, we're not talking about a market that's 70 or 80 cents on the dollar broadly. So, you know, if you're looking to buy back your debt, and, you know, there's an IRR calculation that a CFO is doing and buying back loans at 96 might not be accretive. Having said that, you know, I, restoration hardware quickly comes to mind. And, you know, there is an analysis that says, hey, maybe I should be borrowing to buy back stock. Right. And so uh, there's a lot of analysis around that. And there may be there may be public borrowers that are seeing their equity uh, being impacted. And, and there's an IRR calculation around that. Right. So I think it's too early to say we're going to see, you know, loan borrowers buy back debt. I, I don't think the discount is really there for them just yet. But um, I think that 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 question is really a broader question for for borrowers in general. Yeah. Issuing debt to buy back your own stock sounds like a, a, a less risky play than issuing debt to go and buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> I guess it all depends on your view, right? Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll see how that one works out. OK, so 
Finally, I started the podcast by asking how we got here. So maybe I can finish by asking where we go next. Basically, what's your outlook for leverage loans as an asset class from from here? It really depends on your view on uh, the economic environment, you know, whether or not uh, you think we're going to see a recession in the next 12 or 18 months. Uh, at New Fleet, we don't see that. Uh, we do see a return to on-trend growth. Uh, but right now, with consensus being kind of low 3% uh, GDP for this year and in the mid twos for next year, you know, even a, even a continued slowdown in that number, 20, the 20-year 20 um, uh, average on, on GDP is 1.9%. Uh, that still works for, for a large part of, you know, the, the credit universe. And so our view is that our base case is no recession. And so with that, at 96 cents on the dollar, the loan market's pricing in at kind of low 500s on spread. We're pricing in about two and a half to three percent default environment. Defaults today are 0.15 percent. So, in a market where the base rate is increasing, and the base rate historically is 50 to 60 percent of your return, uh, a, a market that is pricing at historic averages, we think it's interesting. We think that right now there's total return opportunities, uh, especially for long-term strategic you know, income investors. When I think about a market that, you know, on a, on a rolling three-year basis since 1992 has been negative only 3% of the time on a rolling three-year basis versus the S&P at 18% of the time, uh, you know, we're, we're going through a bit of volatility, but the market has historically worked through that. Um, a market that 80% of the months since 1992 have been positive. I think as we're living through a little bit of volatility here, I think that the discount getting us back to historic spread levels is an interesting area to, um, you know, opportunistically at the very least dollar cost average here um, if you're looking for uh, long-term kind of income in an environment that we think is no recession and the base rate is going up. LIBOR and SOFR are both going up. All right. I think we should wrap up there, but thanks so much for joining us, Frank. It's been great having you on. Yeah, thank you. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to it. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another Q&A, uh, but make sure you check in next Thursday with my colleague Kat Hidalgo in London for the latest on European leverage finance markets. Until next time, thanks for listening.